Good evening, everyone. It is great to see you all. Thank you so much for joining us this evening for our first session of the Encounter Experience. Will you stand with me as we read God's Word? I can't think of a better way to start off this experience together. I'm reading out of Psalms chapter 19, verses 7 through 10. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. You can have a seat. For those of you that I don't know, my name is Corey, and I have the privilege of serving here on staff at PV, and we are thrilled that you have decided to take the next 12 weeks to experience Encounter. And I want to just welcome those of you who are here in the worship center. We have about 160 people here in the worship center, and then we have around 50 or so people joining us online. Those of you in the worship center, can you welcome those who are online for me? I also want to welcome those of you who perhaps this is the first time that you've ever walked into Pleasant Valley Baptist Church. For some of you, you are looking for a church home. For some of you, you are part of another church family and you're here to experience encounter and we welcome you. And for some of you, perhaps church and the whole concept of what church is is new to you. And we hope in our prayers that you would feel welcome here that if you have questions that you would feel comfortable uh, talking to one of our ushers or our door greeters or anyone that has a name tag on, we'd be happy to help you with that. So why encounter? Why are you taking encounter? Well, we asked that question on your registration form. And of course, Psalm 19, 7 through 10, the passage that I just read, is the ultimate example of why. It's because God's word is true and his promises will last forever. But here are some of the things that you have said about why you're taking Encounter. The first is that you want a better confidence in understanding what God is showing you when you read the Bible, and also to have a better biblical knowledge so that you can help those who are asking questions. You want to have a greater understanding and desire to read and study God's Word, how to interpret Scripture within the fuller context. You want to renew and develop your ability to study the Bible in order to help others study as well. You want a better understanding on how to deeply read the Bible effectively and be able to use that knowledge to share the gospel. You want to have the confidence in knowing that you can pick up the word and understand and share it. And then finally, you want knowledge and practical application on how to read, invest, receive, and then share scripture. And we are so excited that we have just the privilege of being able to walk alongside you and have you walk alongside us in this journey. And I want to take just a moment to thank some people who have made this evening and this experience happen. Uh, first of all, I want to thank our development team for this program. Uh, that is Caleb Eisler, uh, obviously Andy Lee, who you're going to be meeting soon, Nick Monroe, and Ryan Long. Will you help me thank them for their hard work? A hundred days ago, this program did not exist. 
It was a vision that Merle shared with our team, and he said, we need to make this a priority. And so I also want to thank Pastor Merle for his vision and his willingness to allow us to run with this encounter experience. Thank you, Pastor Merle. I want to thank our technology team, Emily and John, our camera crew. Without you guys, we would not be able to make this happen. And certainly our online audience, uh, we are able to bring this to you because of the hard work of our amazing ministry partners. Will you help me thank them, please? And finally, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule on a Monday evening. And uh, we know that you don't have a whole lot going on right now in your schedules. Um, but we also know that we're getting busier and busier as things continue to open up. So we're grateful that you have made the decision to commit the 12 weeks. Um, there's some resources that you're going to be getting over the next couple of weeks. Just a reminder, we're not meeting next week for Labor Day, okay? So if you show up, it may take a little while for us to start the program next week, um, but we will not be meeting on Labor Day. When you came in, you picked up a journal and a pen. Please feel free to utilize that as you take notes throughout this experience. And then also on your way out today, you're going to receive an encounter workbook. And this encounter workbook uh, was produced in-house by our graphic design team, Angie Loma specifically. This is just a beautiful resource that you'll be able to have, certainly for the next 12 weeks and then beyond. There's also a couple of other resources that you'll be receiving. The first one is How to Read the Bible Book by Book by Fee and Stewart. You will get that in a couple of weeks. And then finally, you're going to be receiving a CSB study Bible that looks similar to this. We ran into a really good problem. We, uh, through our vendors, they ran out of Bibles to send us. Is that not amazing? So that's why you don't have your Bible tonight. But that is an awesome thing that we actually were buying so many Bibles because the registration continued to pick up uh, that we were not able to get them all here, but you will have them in a couple of weeks. For those of you who are joining online, we will either drop off your materials to your house or if you were viewing in from out of the city or out of the area, we will go ahead and mail those to you. So know that those will be coming. Also, for those of you online, you are currently engaging with Caleb Eisler, who's your online host. If you have any questions, please feel free to uh, write that in the chat box, and we welcome those as we welcome you into the conversation alongside those of, those of you who are in the worship center. I'd like to go ahead and just pray for our time and pray that God would utilize this next 12 weeks as Pastor Merle comes up to give a formal welcome here just in a moment. But will you join me as we pray for our encounter experience? Heavenly Father, we are humbled by the fact that you would even give us scripture to even begin to interpret and comprehend the greatness of your grace and your mercy and your truth in our lives. Father, we're thankful that the word then became flesh through your son Jesus, who you willingly offered as a sacrifice to cover our sins. And we're thankful for the spirit that you have given to us, Lord, as well, that we can be prompted by your spirit as we read your truth, your word, your scripture. We can be prompted by the spirit to go deeper in our encounter with you. So, Lord, we pray certainly for additional knowledge and resources and ways to, to interpret your scripture. But, Lord, even more, we pray for a revival in our hearts, a revival in our minds, a revival in our community as we collectively, as a community of believers, dig deeper into your word. Father, for those who may be far from you this evening, we pray that you would draw them closer to you. 
We pray, God, that you would reveal to them through your word your life-saving grace that you have given to us. We love you, Father. We give the next 12 weeks to you. We eagerly anticipate and wait, knowing, God, that you will do great things. We love you, Father. We thank you for the gift of your Son and for the power and the promise of your Spirit. Amen. Hey, good evening. Good to see you. Glad that you're here with us. I want to welcome all the folks that are joining us uh, online. If we've not had a chance to meet, my name's Merle. It's my privilege to serve as lead pastor here. We've got a fantastic group of folks who uh, Corey introduced you to. Let me tell you just a little bit about, uh, about my encounter with the Bible. Uh, many of you know I was raised in a Catholic family. I'm the youngest of seven children. We went to, uh, we went to Mass every uh, every Saturday night, and we observed all of the holy days and did all of the things that you were supposed to do. But my only encounter with the Bible really was the one that was on the coffee table. It was the big family Bible. We never opened it up, but it had the names of all of our relatives, dead and otherwise, written in them. And so I could look back and see kind of my own family heritage. And then... Uh, the Gideons came to our school back in the day when the Gideons could actually do this, which was out in West Texas, and they were handing out Bibles. And uh, I was a young teenager, and uh, I got one, and it was green like my Olympia beer t-shirt, so I thought that was really cool. And I remember not really having any idea, what do you do with this thing? Uh, it was written in a King James Version, and I wasn't really accustomed to 1611 English, and so it was a little bit odd to me. And uh, I remember having that and not really knowing what to do with it. Fast forward a little bit. I worked for uh, a brother and a brother-in-law, Charles Guess and Sonny Huckabee. They were uh, primitive Baptists. Didn't mean that they, you know, uh, never took a bath and wore, you know, animal skins. It's not what it meant. They were from a particular persuasion of Baptists. But one of the things that I really appreciated about them was their love for the Scripture. And so I would go to Charlie Guess's house every morning in the summertime, 6 o'clock. I'd get in the back of his dual cab Chevy, and we would drive 60 miles from San Angelo, Texas, to Big Lake, Texas, to do residential construction. And the first thing that we did when the vehicle started up is they pushed in a cassette tape. I know some of you don't know anything about that. Google it. You can see those ancient things. Put in a cassette tape of a guy by the name of Alexander Scorby reading the Old Testament from King James in his best British accent. I thought these guys had absolutely flipped their lid. I thought that they had, the cheese had slid off their crackers. I thought that the elevator didn't go all the way to the top. All the things, I had never encountered people that actually did this. And so do you know what I did for an hour every morning driving to Big Lake, Texas? I slept because I couldn't really even understand it. Fast forward, we had conversations about Jesus, and they were unapologetic about their faith. They had their Bibles with them at lunch break, and they would break open the Bible, and they would read it, and they would talk about it, and they would ask me questions. I had no idea what they were talking about. I had a brother and a brother-in-law who loved Jesus and loved me, so they were faithful every opportunity they could to talk to me about my eternal salvation and how much God loved me. And the way that they would go about 
persuading me to give consideration to this is they would take a Bible and they would open it up and they would read to me passages of Scripture. The day that I committed my life to Jesus was the day my brother Mitchell and my brother-in-law Daryl opened up the Bible to Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9. Now granted, I had been in the church all 18 years of my life at that point, but I had never read a Bible, and I didn't know these two verses were there. For God, uh, Paul is saying there, for we are saved by grace through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not the result of works, so no person can boast. And I said, that is in the Bible. And they said, yeah, Merle. And all you have to do is receive this gift of new life that we've been telling you about. And on that early morning after midnight, I bowed my knee, bowed my heart, and gave my life to Jesus Christ. And right after that, something miraculous took place. There was this young lady that I had gone to school with who was in a youth group that had been praying for me. And two weeks after I had said yes to Jesus, she was a part of a youth group. She showed up at my house, and she knocked on the door and said, Merle, I'd like to give you something. And her gift to me was a Bible. And I like to say, Karen and I fell in love at the first verse. And so that's been, uh, that's been, we've been married 41, almost 41 years now, but it started with her praying for me and it started with her sharing the scripture with me. Why am I telling you all of that? The Bible is not just a part of my life, it is at the very core of my life. It's the core of who I am, it's the core of the decisions that I make, it's where I find my greatest joy, it's where I'm challenged the most deeply. One of the things that I dream of us being as a local church is that we are the most biblically literate, biblically competent, biblically confident group of people who take the knowledge we have of the scriptures and apply it to our lives so that we experience ongoing transformation. Now, I don't know about you, but that would probably be worth an amen right now. That's the whole reason that we engage in scripture it's to know the God who authored it and to know the life that he's given us and the more we engage in Bible reading understanding application the more we are transformed the number one researched evidence-based means that a Christian can be transformed the number one means is Bible engagement it's that important why? Well, the reason that Bible engagement is important is because the Bible is our authority. I want to talk just a few minutes before I turn it over to Andy. Ryan asked me, would you talk a little bit about authority and inspiration of the Bible? Let me tell you what we believe as a church. The Bible is God's word to us, written by human authors under the supernatural guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's the supreme source of truth for Christian beliefs and living because it is inspired by God. It is the truth without any mixture of error. The reason that we believe so deeply and strongly about the Bible's authority for us is because of the Bible's inspiration. So I'm going to nerd out for a little bit. Are you okay with me nerding out for a little bit? I know that the 20-somethings are accustomed to Caleb like geeking and nerding out. Isn't that right? 
We're accustomed to that. So let me just nerd out for a little bit. I don't want to get real technical, so I'm going to try to put this in language that I can understand. The inspiration of the Bible, what do we mean by that? It's got a variety of definitions, some of them not in keeping with where we are, but I want to make sure that you understand them so that you know where we are. Some people contend that the Bible is inspired like all great literature. It challenges the human heart to reach new heights. But if that's the only way you describe the Bible's inspiration, it's not unique at all. It's just another book. In other words, they see the Bible only as a human literary masterpiece, not being from divine origin. Others, others believe that the Bible is inspired and that it contains the Word of God along with myths and mistakes and legends. These people hold that it is wrong to identify the Bible as the Word of God, rather it is a witness of God speaking to mankind. Putting it another way, there are some people who say that the Word of God can be found in the Bible, but the Word of God is not synonymous with the Bible. We don't hold to either of those erroneous versions of the inspiration of the Scripture. What do we hold to? Two important verses that you want to mark down. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. 2 Timothy 3.16, and then we're going to go to 2 Peter 1.21. 2 Peter 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And if you have a Bible, you ought, to, you ought to circle that word inspired. What it means is, literally, it is God-breathed. The origin of the Scripture is in God. It is not in man. It is God-inspired. It is God-originated. It is God-breathed. If you go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, Peter says, For no prophecy was ever made by an act of the human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. What is Peter saying? The writers were moved by God to record what God wanted recorded. Not in some kind of mechanical dictation, but each individual inspired by God, God speaking through their personality to accomplish God's authoritative work. And this is extended to all of the scripture, every word of the Bible refuting the idea that there are myths and errors in the Bible. And since God is behind the Bible, since God inspired it, it is our understanding that, that God is perfect and the result of God, the perfect one, inspiring the written scriptures is that the scriptures are infallible. They do not fail. They do not teach any kind of error whatsoever. Maybe I could say it like this. If the scripture were not infallible, we could be left with a God-inspired error. Now, why is that important to understand? The entire Christian faith is based upon the premise that God is there and God is not silent. That's what the late theologian Francis Schaeffer often said. So what does that mean? God has worked 
through human authors in a unique supernatural way so that what you and I have that we read is not just the words of any human being, it's the word of God through human beings. So what does that mean for us? It means that the Bible is authoritative for our Christian faith. The Bible is the litmus test for truth when it comes to our decision-making. So, what is moral? Check the Bible. What honors God? Check the Bible. How do we treat others? Check the Bible. How do we have a relationship with God? Check the Bible. Where do we find wisdom? You and I check the Bible and we understand that we demonstrate that the Bible is authoritative when we use it as the right measurement in our life for our practice of living out the Christian faith. One final scripture, and then I'm going to turn this over to Andy. The Apostle Paul was on a, a journey, one of his journeys, and he entered into a town called Berea. And he went to the local synagogue, the local church, if you will, and he began to preach to them the gospel. The Bereans, unlike the Thessalonians that Paul had spoken to, had an eagerness about them. After they heard what Paul had taught, they went to the scriptures, that would have been the Old Testament writings, to see whether or not the things that Paul was saying was actually true. And that's what you and I should do anytime we hear anybody teach anything that they say is coming from the scripture and that's what we should do anytime we hear anything that is claiming to be truth how does this line up with the bible architects and folks in construction use precise measurements to get a precise result when this building was built in 1997 the architects and the contractors didn't just wing it on what they felt. They had very precise measurements in order to make sure that this building would stand for the generations. They would carefully mark their workout by inches and by feet. No seasoned builder ever has a hunch. He relies on a standard. The scriptures for us are that standard. We use it as our means of measuring what life is all about as far as God is concerned. Paul told Timothy, your mom and your grandma, they shared with you the scriptures which are wise, making you wise unto salvation. If you want to know how to be made right with God, how to be kept right with God, how to help others be made right with God, it's from the scriptures. Imagine what will happen when we are biblically literate, biblically competent, biblically passionate, and we apply the scriptures in ways that maybe we have never done so before. I'm excited that Andy Lee is one of our great ministry partners who has an absolute passion for Jesus and a passion to make God's word understandable to us is going to come and he's going to be our main teacher to help us have our own encounter with God through the scripture. So would you join me in welcoming Andy Lee?
I could almost say just go home after that. That was wonderful. <laughs> um, I can't tell you what a privilege it is to, to be here. Um, about 100 days ago when we started looking and thinking about doing this, um, we talked about how many people did we think would, would do this? And I said, I think if we got 75, that would be incredible. And Ryan told me later, he said in the back of his mind, he thought, I think 75 is ambitious. And, and when we ordered materials, one of the reasons you don't have all your materials is because we started out and we, we ordered 30. And I think Nick cheated and ordered 50. And we have almost 200. That's just wonderful. I'm, I'm very excited. There, there are four great privileges that I have in my life. The first is that I am a citizen of God's kingdom, that he has called me and granted me the privilege that I don't deserve to be part of, of his kingdom and the work he's doing. The second great privilege is that I am a husband, and the third is that I am a father. And the fourth is that I get to help people understand God's word better. And so I get to do that right here with you. This is one of the greatest things that I can imagine in, in my life. So I'm gonna start by asking you a question that you've probably thought about because you're here. And the question is, why study the Bible? And Pastor Merle has done a great job and probably of, of, as you think about this, you are thinking some of the things that he said, well, we study the Bible because it's God's word. We study the Bible because it's our guidebook for life. We study the Bible because it, it, it is everything we need for life and godliness. It, it, the, the list goes on and on. But that's this question. Why study the Bible? There's actually a second question here that we don't think about as often, which is why study the Bible. So my background differs um, somewhat from, from Merle's in that I was raised in a home that the Bible was everything. We read it, we studied it. I remember when I was in seventh grade and I got a copy of the one year Bible where I read through the entire Bible in a year. And I did that year after year after year. And you assume that your own um, upbringing is just like everyone else's. Do you guys think that where you think my friends were raised just like I was and we all believed the same stuff? And then you start talking to people and you realize that's, that's not the case. And what I realized is that most people, even within the church, their studying of the Bible many times comes down to a few verses here and there. We memorize John 3.16, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23. And we have these verses that we know. But when it comes to actually reading and studying big swaths of scripture, sometimes we, we don't do that. And as a result of that, we, we really don't, know scripture as well as we tend to think that we do. Like Pastor Merle, like you said, I didn't know these verses were in the Bible. And I, uh, I, I've spent some time in the past teaching Old Testament and I love teaching Old Testament because you get in passages and most people didn't know that book was in the Bible. 
and it's great. I, I love getting to, to teach things like that. But one of the things that happens is that we, we think that we know the Bible just by reading some verses. Oh yeah, I know the Bible, it says God is love. I know the Bible, it says God helps those who help themselves. Actually, it doesn't say that. But I know the Bible, it, it, you know, I know these, these verses. But when it comes to bigger pieces of scripture, whole books, do we understand what's being said? Do we understand why the author is saying what he's saying? And, and if you're, you're like me, you come to certain passages and you're like, what on earth is going on here? You're reading along, I understand what's going on, I understand what's going on, and then I have no idea what's going on. Yes, thank you. <laughs> yes, we, we, we get there and we don't know what to make of this. And then if you've ever done a Bible study, what, what happens is someone says, well, well, to me, this means this. And then someone else says, well, well, to me, this means this. And then they might've said something totally different. Then what do you do? See, the problem is that when it comes to studying the Bible, we operate under a faulty assumption. And you have to listen very carefully to what I say, especially those of you who have been in church a long time, because this is probably gonna make you mad for just a second until you track with me. The reason why we need to study the Bible is that the Bible was not written to you. It was written for you, but not to you. And, and let me illustrate this. Uh, a good illustration for this is imagine if you're reading a text message, if you're on one of those group texts and it's going to a whole bunch of people, but you know who's sending it and you know who the person's talking to. And they say, the party's at your house. If you don't know that this person is talking to this person, what are you gonna think? Oh man, there's a party at my house and I did not get anything. But if you understand who it was written to and who is saying it, then you understand what the party at your house means. Now that's kind of a, a silly or simple way of, of putting it, but it's important for us to understand that the Bible was written to specific people at a specific time from a specific person. And if we skip this step of assuming that it, it was just written, if we say it's just written directly to me, then we're going to miss something. So really the, the purpose of this class, the reason why we have this class is that the next slide here says, even though the Bible was written for us, we do not deny that. The Bible was written for our benefit. And it's the most important thing ever written. It is worth studying more than Shakespeare. It is worth studying more than social media. It is worth studying more than the news. It is worth studying more than anything ever written or ever said in history. But it was not written to us. And in order for us to understand what the Bible means for us today, we must first understand what it meant to the original audience. And basically that is the goal of encounter. 
is that you will be able to understand when you open God's word, you will be able to understand what the author was saying to the original audience so that after that, you can understand what it means for you today. So the word study, we put up the next slide here. The word study can be intimidating, right? How many of you like to study, right? I'm sure all the online people are raising their hands, right? How many of you does the word study make your, yeah, break into a cold sweat, right? There are a lot of different levels and types of study, okay? If you go to Harvard Theological Seminary or Oxford or Cambridge, you can go and people there are studying the Bible and writing ridiculously complex theses and dissertations on the Bible. Don't worry, you don't have to do that. There are also people who each week study God's word so that they can teach it or preach it. I'm not asking any of you to do that either, but many of you might do that. You may lead a community group or you may um, uh, teach a, a small group or, or pastor, or you may have an opportunity to even talk to a coworker about scripture. But not everyone has the opportunity to do that. And sometimes we think, oh, the only people who need to study are the paid or trained professionals. I think it's one of the great myths of our day is that Bible study is the purview of the professionals. None of us are professionals. I, I, love, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said one time when it comes to, to, to studying scripture in the Christian life, that really we're all in a hospital. And some of us have just been there a little longer. So we know who the nice nurses are and we know where to get the best ice chips. And I think in some ways that, that's really a good way of looking at it. It's not you know, that, that some people know all this stuff and dispense all this knowledge and other people sit there and think, oh, I could never get that. We're all in the hospital together, the hospital of the human existence. And we all have the ability to study and understand the Bible. Because one of the other things we believe is that the, the priesthood of the believer, which is a, a tenet of Baptist belief, is that the Holy Spirit resides within us and that I have the ability to discern what God is saying through his word. I do not need a priest or mediator or teacher or pastor to explain something to me that I couldn't get otherwise. And so we hold that true in belief, and this class will help us to hold that true in practice, all right? But at the very least, each one of us should learn how to read the Bible well. And even though there are multiple levels of, of study and lots of different ways of studying the Bible, really what we're looking at and what we're talking about boils down to two basic questions. And I've kind of hinted at those already. The first question is, what did this mean to God's people back then? Okay, if you've ever done an inductive uh, Bible study, and I'm gonna um, ask to cheat ahead one slide here. We, we have an image, I, yes, to put up here. Some of you may have be familiar with the interpretive pyramid or um, inductive Bible studies. 
observation, interpretation, application, or observation, interpretation, application, reflection. I like things really simple. And if I can boil something down to two things, then I'm likely to remember it. And so what did this mean to God's people back then is the observation interpretation. If you're familiar with this, you can equate those. If you're not familiar, then don't worry, they're just big words. But what we're trying to do is understand, like I said earlier, what did the original author intend his original audience to understand by what he was saying? Then we have to jump to the second question, which is what does this mean for God's people today? This is application and reflection. Now, if you just stop and think for a minute, um, think back to, to your, your time in maybe Bible studies or uh, books you've read about the Bible. There are two errors that we can make sometimes. The first error that we can make, then this is the, the academic or the scholastic error, is we spend all our time right here. What did this mean to God's people back then. And we, we spend hours and we pour over archaeology and we look at historical backgrounds and we understand, we do word studies and we understand the ins and outs of every single passage. And we go off and it makes no difference in our lives. This class is not for you to simply increase in knowledge. If the only thing that, that you or I or any of us walk away from from this class is feeling like, I know the Bible better than I did before, then really this class has been a failure. Because if all we do is know stuff, remember Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, knowledge puffs up. And I've met people um, in, in, who knew a lot about the Bible who were very prideful about it. And it always makes me sad because I found that the more I study scripture, the more it humbles me because I realize I'm a horrible person and I do not know God as well as I think I do. But if we spend all our time here, what did this mean to God's people back then and never get to application, then we've really short-circuited the purpose of scripture. But then there's an equally dangerous mistake that we make if all we focus on is what does this mean for God's people today? And this is like the, the emotional error that we can make because we think, well, to me, this means this and I need to go and, and, and do this. And sometimes you can be right, but sometimes you can be wrong. And how do you know? You ever wondered that? Have you ever sat in a Bible study or something and you're listening to some people talk about the Bible and they're going back and forth and you're thinking, how do we know what's right? You're saying this means this, and you're saying this means this, and it can't mean both, can it? Well, maybe, maybe it can mean anything. The problem with saying that a verse can mean anything is that ultimately it means it means nothing. Remember like the old saying, like, if everyone's special, no one is? If, if everyone is something, then, then it doesn't matter. If the Bible can mean anything, then ultimately the Bible means nothing. So it has to mean something. And, and obviously, and I hope if you're here, it's because you're thinking the Bible has to mean something. And the Bible has to mean something important. It's worth studying. 
So what I'm going to do in the, the remaining time is outline in a real simple way just some basic guidelines for how to study the Bible. Now, don't try to write all of this down because the main points are all in the manuals you'll be getting when you leave. So don't feel like you have to write everything down because some of you are going to blow a fuse trying to, to write all this down. Just maybe jot down general impressions or, or, or thoughts. Most everything that's on the slide will be in your manuals that you'll get when, you're, when you'll leave. The only reason we didn't give them to you before is because I know you, because I know me. And if you got them before, you wouldn't listen. Okay, so we'll go ahead and go to the next slide. What we're going to talk about first is what did this mean to God's people back then? Again, as I said, this is observation and interpretation. Now, I have found in my study of, of scripture that study is as much an art as it is a science. And sometimes we get really locked into a method and we think, okay, I have to do this first, then I have to do this, then I have to do this, then I have to do this. The only thing I'm going to encourage you is don't apply it before you observe and interpret, okay? First thing is, what did this mean to God's people back then? But sometimes we try to draw this line between, well, what is observation and what is interpretation? And it, it gets all kind of confusing because our brains don't always work like that. So what I wanna give you is just some general ideas for how to do good observation and what things to think about as you're reading scripture. The first thing that I would encourage you to do is to read multiple times in various translations. And again, this is something that sometimes gets me in trouble because if there is one thing that people who read the Bible love, it is their translation. And sometimes we think that multiple translations is a curse from the devil. But in reality, multiple translations is a, is a great blessing. I remember one time I was teaching, um, I think first or second, second graders, second or third graders. And there were some kids there who, they had their, their old King James Bible and they were reading and they were just struggling and struggling and struggling. And I remember thinking to myself, what we're teaching these kids is that the Bible is hard to understand. The best Bible translation is one that you will read. I'm gonna say that again. The best Bible translation is one that you will read. But that being said, I, I grew up in a, in a church where we used the, the New International Version. And so I did all my scripture memory in the New International Version. I, I went to a Christian school where we, we read the, the NIV. And so I, I always had NIV in my mind. And so what I found is that as I was reading passages of scripture that I knew, I would stop reading because I, I knew it and I was just, and then I started reading different translations and it was amazing how it, it said the same thing, but the wording was different enough that it, it, it um, broke up my familiarity. And because it broke up my familiarity with, with scripture, I, I would see things in, in a different way. Not that the interpretation changed, but it helped me to understand that maybe the way that I thought this through before 
wasn't what the author was trying to say. So real quickly, I don't want to get into this too much because it, there's, this can be a, a black hole to get into different translations, but there, there are a few different types of translations. There are some that are more on the, the literal side where they do more word-for-word -word translation, um, like the, the King James, the New American Standard, and the ESV, or the English Standard Version. Those are all great translations. But if that's the one that you read, if that's your go-to Bible, maybe consider reading something like the New Living Translation, which is a little bit more on the, 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 the it's not a paraphrase, but it's, it's more in that direction. Or vice versa, maybe you grew up reading the, the New Living Translation or, or, or more uh, the message even was popular when I was, was younger. Um, maybe pick up a more literal translation. It'll be harder to read, but it'll slow you down. Um, the, the translation that, that we are uh, giving is not the best translation, not the only translation. It's the one that we use here at Pleasant Valley. And we thought it's great. It's a great study Bible, but it's not the only one. It's kind of in between the two, kind of where the NIV would be. Um, and so if, if you read a passage, maybe have a few different Bibles opened up. The beauty of the internet is that you can get them all for free. Bible Gateway, Blue Letter Bible, all these different options, they're all right there. But read multiple times in various translations. The next thing that, that you want to do is to be aware is pay attention to significant words, phrases, and passages. You know, there, there's a place where, where Paul says, the point I'm trying to make is this. Okay, if someone says the point I'm trying to make is this, what do you think you need to do? Pay attention. If something is repeated over and over and over again, like clean your room, clean your room, clean your room, what do you need to do? Clean your room, right? <laughs> My kids don't get that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Things that are repeated are important. Significant words, phrases, sometimes something that maybe doesn't fit. That it just seems a little strange. That can be important. One of the other things too that, that happens when we read is there are times where the Bible will explain itself. If the Bible, if the author is explaining why he's saying what he's saying, that can be an important clue in understanding who he's talking to. So like in, in the Gospels, when, um, the, when, when they're translating Hebrew phrases into Greek, which then are translated into English, and both translations are there, it gives you a clue about the audience. And if we learn to be careful readers, then we begin to understand who the author was writing to, and it helps us to understand what he intended his audience to understand. Everybody with me so far? Great, okay. So then another thing we need to do is be aware of how genre, another fancy word, may impact interpretation. Genre is just a fancy word that means literary type. So if you read the newspaper, that's a specific genre of literature. If you read romance or horror or, I pick bad examples, sorry. <laughs> Epic novels, they're different genres. But if you read the Sunday newspaper the same way that you read a horror book, 
Well, you might do that nowadays, but <laughs> if, if you read everything the same way, you're going to misunderstand something. You don't read love letters from your wife the way you read an accounting ledger. And we just know most of this. But when it comes to scripture, we don't always know what the genre or in literary type is because we may not be familiar with those genres today. I don't know about you, but really people don't write much today in wisdom literature. There are some, Benjamin Franklin, you know, we, we have some of the, the haste makes waste, the stitch in time saves nine, but we don't, we don't get these little pithy sayings all that often anymore. And we might misunderstand or misinterpret and then ultimately misapply what wisdom literature is trying to say if we don't understand something that to the original audience was self-evident. They didn't need interpretation because it was written to them. The author and the audience were on the same page. We're a third party, so we have to interpret so we can understand what is being said. Another thing we have to do is pay attention to historical and literary context. Now, what I mean by that, historical context is when the book was written. See, we have the Bible, it's in it's one book. And sometimes we'd almost have the assumption the Bible was all written at the same time. It was actually written over a period of 1,500, 1,600 years to in two, three, three different languages to all kinds of different people. And if we assume that Genesis is written to the same people as Isaiah, or is written to the same people as Matthew and Revelation, we flatten things out and we miss things. So historical context is important. Who was writing this? When were they writing? I mean, big questions, Old Testament, New Testament, big difference. But even within the Old Testament, was this written before Israel was taken into exile or after they were taken into exile? That's a big difference too. And we're going to talk about a lot of these things and help give you some tools that will help you to understand the historical context so that you're closer in your mind to understanding what the original audience would have understood. But we also have something called literary context. And, and this I kind of hinted at earlier. It's something that's not as, we don't think about as, as often, but um, how many of you know what John 3.16 says? How many of you know what John 3.15 says? Oh, the hands go down. Do you know there is a John 3.15? There's actually a John 3.1 through 15, and then there's a John 17 and, and following. News to us. Do you think the author intended John 3.16 to be read in isolation? No. Now, imagine for a second, you know, say, say you, uh, you get a, a, a love letter from your wife, or maybe you're, you're an attorney and you're, you're reading a will or, uh, you know, something important, just some important document. And imagine saying, okay, today I'm going to read line three, words seven through 10. And I go and read line three, seven through 10. And then tomorrow I'm going to get up and read line 12. And I'm going to read all of that line because it looks nice. 
And then the next day I'm gonna jump over here and jump over here. Are you ever going to understand what is, what is being said? You're not gonna be in business very long if that's how you read stuff and you're not gonna have a very good marriage if that's how you read things that your husband or wife wrote to you. But if that's the only way we read God's word, then do you think we're likely to misunderstand what's being said? You know, a classic example of this is uh, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we, we, we say that and then we go and we're gonna win a football game because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or I'm gonna go climb a mountain even though I haven't trained or run a marathon or, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then when it doesn't work out, then we'll, there's a problem with scripture. Scripture can't, it must not be true. Well, the problem isn't with scripture. The problem is that we're misapplying something because we've misinterpreted it. And we've misinterpreted it because we didn't pay attention to the literary context, which really all literary context means is what's the stuff around it? What was said before this? What was said after this? Most books in the Bible were intended to be read all the way through. Romans is a letter. Hebrews is a letter. The funny thing about Hebrews is at the end, the author says, I've written such a short letter. And we're getting through and we're like, what on earth is he talking about? <laughs> it's intended to be read all the way through. And if we aren't reading that way, if we're not paying attention to literary context, then we undermine our goal, which as I've said, and you're gonna get tired of hearing this over the next 12 weeks, and you'll probably be able to start finishing my sentences for me. The goal is to determine the author's original intent to his original audience. That's what we're looking at. And what did this mean to God's people back then? Because one of the things that we believe when we talk about inspiration and infallibility, and the question is, whose opinion matters? Is it the preacher? Is it the Bible study leader? Is it a commentator? No, it's what the original author intended. Now, some people, and you might hear this, if, if you're, you're much interested in, in, in this sort of thing, you might hear people say something like, well, that's impossible. You can't get into the author's mind. And that's totally true. We cannot get into the author's mind. I can't know what John was thinking when he wrote the gospel of John. But I can know what he was saying. How can I know what he was saying? Because he said it's written right here. And the goal of communication is to be understood. So John wasn't writing trying to hide what he meant. It was, he wanted to be understood. He wanted his audience to understand. Because the author wanted to be understood, then we have the ability to also understand. Will we understand perfectly? No. Will this class answer every question you will have about the Bible? No. Will I even try to do that? No. But it will at least give us some parameters. Some, some guideposts, or you know, if you like bowling, remember when you went bowling as a kid and you bowled in the bumper lanes? The bumper lanes didn't guarantee you'd get a strike all the time, but they kept you out of the gutters. 
Maybe that's the goal of this class is we're going to keep us out of the, the gutters of interpretation where we fall off. We're, we're not always going to know perfectly because part is I don't think God intended for us to know perfectly because it's by faith that we understand. And God is pleased when we act in faith, but it's not blind faith. You know, sometimes we talk about a blind leap of faith. In reality, we don't make blind leaps of faith in God because he's revealed things to us through his word. What we do is we make measured steps of faith in accordance with this huge assurance that we have of how God operated in the past. So that's what we're gonna do is with, what did this mean to God's people back then? Then the next thing that we're gonna go to is what does this mean for God's people today? And I'm gonna reiterate this over and over and over again. Proper application and proper reflection depends on accurate interpretation. One of the, the, the little statements that, that works really well here is the text, the scripture will not mean something different for us than it did to them. They have to be in line. Now, it might apply differently because we live in the 21st century. There's nothing in the Bible that tells you about how to buy a car. It doesn't say thou shalt drive, put in your favorite brand. Thou shalt not drive, you know, put in everybody else's favorite brand. But it does give principles for making good decisions. It does give principles for wise stewardship. But, it's, but what we'll find as we read, we can apply the same message to a different context, but we'll find that it meant the same thing. I would like to hope that if, when we apply scripture properly, if Paul or Moses or Isaiah or Jeremiah or someone was there watching, he'd say, yeah, you, that's what I meant. Not, what are you talking about? But in order to do this, we have to understand what it meant to them first. The most sincere and profound efforts to apply and reflect on God's word can lead to all sorts of problems. From blind idealism, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, to outright heresy. Some heresies arise simply because people decided they would apply scripture before they would interpret it, and then a whole bunch of other people followed along with that. Remember, the Bereans checked Scripture. None of us are infallible. God's Word is. And if we don't proceed application and reflection by careful observation and interpretation we turn a valuable tool, the greatest thing, one of the greatest things that God has given us into really a dangerous weapon. And a lot of people, you know, you hear people say things like, well, the Bible is dangerous. It's the Bible is, you know, all, all, all sorts of things. And a lot of times what they're saying is true, but the problem is it's because scripture has been misinterpreted. And you find that people use the Bible to justify their own sinful behavior. 
But if you read carefully and you observe and interpret, you'll find out that's not what that means. That's not what the author was trying to say. Have you ever heard someone preach or, or, or teach or, or, or say something and in your heart, you're like, that's, that's not right. I, I can't explain why, but there's something not right about that. Our goal is to move past that, which is really the Holy Spirit in us saying, be careful to where we can say, that's not right. And here's why it's not right. And most of the time, it boils down to people who are, are teaching or, or leading a study who have not done good observation and interpretation, who didn't first ask the question, what did this mean to the people back then? So is everybody with me so far? I know this is a lot of information. So what did this mean to God's people back then? And then we say, what does this mean for God's people today? Now, when we come to application, we'll go ahead and put up the next slide. When it comes to application, notice the S. Oh, ah. there you go. <laughs> Merle looks so good when he does this and I'm not like... <laughs> There is only one valid and proper interpretation. It's what the author meant his audience to understand. Now we'll caveat that a little bit later on, but I would say 99% of the time, there's only one valid interpretation. There are many valid applications because my life is different than yours. Now that doesn't change what scripture means, but it does change how we apply it. So the question to find applications, and these are just some guiding questions. Okay, I'm not saying these are the be all end all. This is your you know, seven steps to finding a, an airtight, perfect application. These are just guidelines. The first one is, is this a knowing or a doing text? One of the mistakes we make when we jump straight to application is we don't ever bother to think, did the author want his audience to do something on the basis of this or was he just telling them something? So uh, one of the books that we're gonna read early on is, is the book of Ruth. If you assume that Ruth is how to get yourself a husband in five easy steps, it's not gonna make any sense because you know, I don't think we're gonna find any threshing floors nowadays. Because the book of Ruth is not a doing text. It's a knowing text. The author wanted his audience to know something. How did the author intend the original audience to apply what he was saying or what he was written, the written text? You ever stop and think about that? It's a great question. What did Isaiah want his audience to understand when he said this? What did John want his audience to do as a result of all the visions he saw in Revelation? 
because we jump right away to what, what do I need to do? What do I think needs to be done on the basis of this? Instead of saying, start with the author. How do we think the author intended? Now, can we know this with 100% uncertainty? Not always. But can we make some educated assumptions and, and think through this? At least ask the question. Yes, we can. What is the underlying principle in the text? Is there something that is being assumed or that, that, that the author is driving at? This is especially helpful when we read Old Testament law, which as a spoiler alert, that's probably my favorite session that I get to teach. I love teaching Old Testament law, which might tell you a little something about me. Um, <laughs> Sorry, Ryan, if the uh, numbers plummet after my statement of that. This guy's crazy. But we're like, what, what does any of this stuff have to do with us? We don't live in an agrarian society. No, but we serve the same God who still has the same desires for his people. Now, we, may, we apply them in different ways, but some of the principles may stay the same. So again, you think as you think through this, after you've done careful observation and you've asked the questions about the, uh, the original audience and the original author, then you start thinking, okay, well, maybe there's an underlying principle that I can, can use here. Next slide. What similarities or differences are there between ancient and modern audiences? I actually just kind of did that right there. So in the law, we're, the, the law it was written to an agrarian society. They were, they were farmers. Most of us are not farmers. So that makes a difference in understanding. If we understand the similarities and differences, then we're, we're more likely to be able to properly apply a text. One of the reasons why the Old Testament is so much harder for us to understand than the New Testament is because we are a Greco-Roman culture. Our cultural heritage is profoundly shaped by Greece and Rome. Well, guess who the New Testament was written to? A Greco-Roman culture. The Old Testament was not. What's interesting is if you go to uh, Sub-Sahara Africa and you teach the Bible there, sometimes they identify better with the Old Testament because they, their, their culture is more closely aligned with the Hebrew culture of the Old Testament than with the Greco-Roman culture of the New Testament. And if we stop and we understand the similarities and differences, it might help us to find good applications or to avoid bad applications. And that leads us to our next idea. What are the boundaries for what the text can or can't mean? For those of you who, you know, like, like Sherlock Holmes, remember Sherlock Holmes' old axiom of when you eliminate all the impossible, whatever's left over, however improbable must be true. Sometimes it's helpful to just get rid of the things that this cannot mean. I really want to talk about revelation here, but I'm not going to. We'll talk about that at the end. We save that for the end for, for a lot of reasons. But there are things that, that the text just can't mean because the original audience would never have thought that. There are boundaries to interpretation. And one of the dangers of our, of our modern culture with its anything goes um, atmosphere is that sometimes we apply this description. It's like, well, 
anything goes as long as, you know, you thought it up. No, because it has to be based on what the author meant, what it meant for God, to God's people then matters. It establishes boundaries. So we need to think about that. Then we can get into this, which is really what we like and what's our goal. What are some potential scenarios in which this text could be applied today? So there's a, there's a, a, a law in the Old Testament that says, build a parapet, like a little fence around the roof of your house. You're like, why in the world would anyone do that? Well, in the uh, ancient Israel, the roof of the house was a place that they used. They would go up and, and be on it. It was like, like a modern uh, downtown urban apartment building, right? You, your tennis courts or your pools up on the top. And if you don't build a, a parapet, a, a fence around it, you're endangering the people who come to your home. Okay, now, most of us, we, if you live in, in a suburban or rural, your roof is like this. Nobody's getting up on your roof. You don't even want to get up on your roof. But the principle, the scenario, you could say, well, I need to keep my sidewalk cleaned and shoveled because I care about the people who are coming to my home and walking by. And you thought it was just you're legally responsible to do that. But do you see how if you, you understand, okay, well, instead of saying, well, that doesn't mean anything to me, I don't even know what a parapet is, you begin to look and say, well, there are similarities and differences. I understand the principle here, and there might be a potential scenario where I can apply that, where I need to care about the people who come and entrust themselves to my security when they come to my house. So these are just some questions to find applications. However, again, it's not a science. And even just, it's beyond an art as well. Because one of the things we believe, and we go to the next slide, we believe that scripture is unlike any other book ever written. We believe that this is God's word. And we believe that God is living and active and his word is living and active. And we believe in the work of the Holy Spirit who inspired the writing. We don't believe that the Holy Spirit continues to inspire writing, which is why we're not adding books to the Bible. But we do believe that the Holy Spirit illuminates or shines a light on scripture so we can understand it. If you do not pray that the Holy Spirit would guide your mind and your heart as you read, it, it's like going to battle without a weapon. You're, you're just underarming yourself. And the beauty of this is we pray for the Holy Spirit's illumination. So when we discover something, when we encounter God in his word, is it because of our brilliance? Is it because you have the Andy Lee guaranteed six steps to whatever? No. It's because the Holy Spirit guides us into 
truth. We need to meditate on the passage and its idea. I was laughing about this as, as I was preparing this because, and you, you may have this happen too. Sometimes my most profound aha moments with scripture happen when I'm mowing the lawn or happen when I'm you know, fixing a car or helping cook a meal or you know, taking a shower, just whatever. It's because I, I fill my mind with scripture and then I go about my day. But as I go, those, those passages, those thoughts, are, are keep, they, they percolate in my mind. So you're mowing your lawn and your neighbor's tree limb is hanging over that you've hit your head on four or five times. And when you almost hit your head, instead of cursing your neighbor, you think, I don't really love my neighbor like I ought to. It's because the Holy Spirit through God's word is convicting. The Holy Spirit through God's word is challenging us. So don't don't take this class when you have homework from this class, which you will have homework, not a bunch, but you'll have some. Don't take this as, oh, I've got my 30 minutes or an hour that I'm doing my encounter work and then boom, I'm done and, and go on. God challenged Joshua to meditate on it day and night so you may be careful to do everything written in it. Don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth in Joshua 1. Meditate, think about it, carry it with you in your mind, fill your mind with scripture and then go about your day and see what God does. Then personalize the application. If you're like me, you'll read something and you'll think, oh man, if only so-and-so read that. They need this. What does personalize mean? I need this. If the only application points you're finding are for your husband, your wife, your mom, your dad, your kids, your boss, your neighbor, you're really not reading scripture very well. Because the Holy Spirit does not convict other people through your reading, he convicts you through your reading. Personalize the application. How can I do something? What can I do about it? And then guess what you need to do? Obey it. Fastest sports car in the world does nothing in a garage. If you don't obey God's word, don't bother reading it. I mean, really. It's intended to be obeyed. In fact, when said Joshua was told, don't let this book of the law depart from your mouth, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. I think in, in a lot of our, our churches and, and in our, our lives, we have two problems. First of all, we don't read scripture. We don't know scripture. And secondly, we don't obey scripture. Imagine how different our 
family, our church, our city, our country would be if people who said they believed God's word actually read it and put it into practice. How different would my life be if I put into practice the things that I read? We encounter God in his word. And I think the truth is sometimes we really don't want to encounter God. Because when we encounter God, it can be a scary thing. Because you know what God tells us most of the time? We need to change. Obey the application. Now, lest you think that I came up with all of these things, I'm going to put up a couple of resources. Um, the, the points, the, the final points that I put up there on oh, um, obey the application and the, um, it, are from this book, Learning and Living God's Word by Dan Estes. Um, if you're interested at all in uh, being, doing a little bit more work in how to study the Bible. I know I've gone through a lot. I don't want you to feel like you're drinking from a, a fire hydrant right now. But it might be that you're, you think, oh, you know, I'm interested in that. I'm interested in understanding a little bit more of the mechanics of Bible study. We're not going to focus on the mechanics of Bible study in this class as much as we're going to apply the mechanics. So if you're interested in this, or maybe after this class is done, you have a community group and you want to go through something uh, like this. I, this book is great. And I'll, uh, part of the reason why it's great is I turn it on its side. You see that? It's manageable. And it's really, really, really good. If you like a little bit more of the, the nuts and bolts of things, and really a lot of the things that I'm presenting in each session on genre and the types of literature come from uh, the book, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. Don't confuse this with How to Read the Bible Book by Book, which is what you have. This is the first book that uh, Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart wrote. And it kind of just goes through the, the genres a little bit. And in your book, How to Read the Bible Book by Book, sometimes you'll come across a statement that says, in how to one, we blah, 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 blah. That's this book that they're talking about. The reason why I prefer to start with How to Read the Bible Book by Book is because it actually gets us into the Bible, book by book. And you essentially have in that a, a miniature walkthrough for all the books of the Bible. And that's what I like about doing this class is helping you to think, I can do this. I can read any book of the Bible and I can understand what it says and what it means and how to apply it. But if you are interested in a little bit more of the nuts and bolts of things, I'd encourage you to look at Fee and Stewart's book. The last book is Inductive Bible Study by Richard Fuhr and Andreas Kostenberger. This is where the questions to find the application uh, largely derive from. This is also very good. It, it's a little more technical, um, but it also gets in a little bit more of the nuts and bolts of kind of wedding together Bible study with um, interpretation. And uh, I, I guess if I had to say, this is like, you know, 101, 201, 
and 301, if you get my, my drift here. But all three are good resources for more doing more deeper study. This class is not the last class on how to study the Bible that you take. It's not the end. It's the beginning of a journey. And as we walk through this together, I want to leave you with a final challenge to think about. Oh, wait, no, we have homework first. Sorry. <laughs> In your manual that you'll get when you leave, there are some guiding questions on page 13. Uh, for those of you who are, are watching online, if, if I remember correctly, the PDF copy of the manual's already been uh, sent to you, and you can get the physical copies either when they're mailed to you if you live out of state, or um, when you pick them up, or when they're delivered to you. But page 13 of the manual has some questions, and we start with some easy questions. So I want you to look at that, think through what we've talked about. There's a summary of session one that kind of uh, gives a little bit of the things I've been talking about. So if you fell asleep or just got totally lost, you read through that and kind of jog your memory when you answer those questions. Next week, we're gonna talk about why do Christians need to study the Old Testament? We're gonna have a guest speaker and it's gonna be a really awesome time. So now the next slide, now that I've gotten about that, got through the uh, technical stuff, a challenge. What tool are you giving your surgeon? You're like, what in the world? Hebrews 4.12 says, the word of God is living and effective, sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. If you look at these words and you think about separating soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and penetrating into the thoughts and intentions of the heart, you picture a heart surgeon, like digging down into your heart. And you get to pick the tool that you give your surgeon. Because the level of devotion to seeking God and his word that you have in this class and beyond determines the sharpness of the tool that God's going to use in your life. So do you want your heart surgeon coming at you with a rusty, dull scalpel? If we only give God a couple minutes a day, a verse a day keeps the devil away, or only what we read on, you know, what the pastor preaches on Sunday morning, or only a Bible study once a week. If that's the extent of our study of scripture, we're giving the spirit a dull tool. And I don't know about you, but even though it hurts, I mean, I don't think any of us like willingly sign up for heart surgery. Like, oh yeah, I wanna, I wanna just go have open heart surgery just because that sounds like fun. But when we need it, we want to make sure that our surgeon has the sharpest, best tools available and, the, and, and it is the best surgeon that we could possibly see. Well, guess what? You have the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God who created the universe and who loves you more than anyone 
has ever or will ever love you, wanting to do surgery. But he's not going to make you seek him. There's some effort involved. So my closing challenge to you as you begin this class, 12 weeks, but then even beyond, is give it your best. Now, for some of you, your best may be 15 minutes a day. For some of you, it may be an hour on Saturday morning. For some of you, it may be an hour or two every day. I remember when I was in school and I was working, had a wife at home, three kids and in school. And sometimes the guys next to me would be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna get that recommended reading list and I'm gonna read all those, those recommended books and then get three or four others too. It's like, it's all I could do to just read what they told me. Don't be someone else. Don't try to do, you know, don't feel bad if you can't do what other people do because God is working on you in your heart but don't sell it short. Because if you pick up the challenge, if you say, I'm gonna give the Holy Spirit a sharp tool to do surgery in my life, to cut things out that are displeasing and to put things in that are pleasing, I promise you, you will be glad that you did. Nobody ever said I tried God, I gave it my best and he's not for me. Not people who really seek him. If you really seek him, he promises in scripture, he will be found by you. I'm really excited about the next 12 weeks. I'm excited about what God's gonna do in each of your lives. I'm excited about what he's gonna do with us as a group. If you look around, you know, you're, you're grouped together. You're almost like a little mini cohort. You'll get to know each other. You might have some time to socially distanced communicate with each other. But we're walking through this together. And like I said at the beginning, I am, Caleb is, Pastor Merle, all of us here, all we are are people who've been in the hospital long enough to know where the good ice chips are and who the nice nurses are. We're here for you. We're praying for you. We're really excited about this opportunity. So Pastor Mother, you gonna come and close us out. Hey, why don't we join together in thanking Andy. Awesome job. Uh, let me remind those of you here in the uh, worship center to make sure and pick up your manual before you, uh, before you take off. And a reminder, we are not meeting next Monday because that's Labor Day, but we will meet the following Monday, which is September the 14th, 7th. What? 14th, thank you. Thank you, Doug, that actually those were five fingers that you held up, but I understood what that, September the 14th. And so what we're gonna do here in the worship center, will you stand together with me? And if you're watching us online, you wanna stand up for a minute, and if you'll just bow your heads, let me pray over you a benediction from the scriptures.
Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. And everyone said, amen. So glad that you came. God bless you.